0: This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by SourceMap, the all in one platform for managing end to end supply chain due diligence. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. map of a global supply chain may be full of places unknown. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. As supply chains grow more complex and diversified, so does the need to gain visibility over every partner. For corporate compliance officers, the writing is on the wall. A slew of new regulations in the U.S. and Europe is putting pressure on companies to possess complete knowledge of where their products are being made, from raw materials to final production. On this episode, we'll learn what it takes to exercise due diligence over a global supply chain to make sure that no forced labor is involved and that all providers are adhering to environmentally responsible practices at every stage. My guest is Leonardo Bonani, founder and CEO of SourceMap. He'll tell us how companies can audit and verify suppliers at every tier of production to stay on the right side of regulators and protect the reputation of their brands. Here is our conversation. Leonardo Bonanni, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about a lot of the different issues and regulations that apply to supply chain due diligence and the need for global supply chain visibility, and I'd like to run down with you what are some of the major concerns and what companies can do in order to address them. Just kind of help summarize for me where you want to start in terms of what you consider to be like the major regulations that are out there right now that promise to have the biggest impact on supply chains in this regard.
1: The regulation landscape has shifted considerably since COVID. We've seen as many as 25 new regulations on the books in North America and in Europe that require greater supply chain visibility from companies. The biggest laws that are on the books right now that require due diligence, that we see companies looking for solutions for every day, are On the U.S. side, the UFLPA, the so-called Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, and broader Section 307 enforcement, which is Customs and Border Protections Enforcement, uh, of the ban on products made with forced labor. And then in Europe, a new generation of due diligence laws in the supply chain, a French supply chain due diligence law, a German supply chain due diligence law, uh, an upcoming EU-wide due diligence requirement, and then finally an anti-deforestation law that would impact seven or eight different raw materials coming into Europe and require that they be mapped down to the origin.
0: So, okay, so let's cover some specifically. One of the things that interests me on the European side is that you mentioned a French law, you mentioned a German law. I rarely hear discussion of laws being passed in this regard from the individual countries. It's usually just the EU does this, the EU does that. But I guess we sh- what we should understand then, is, should we, is the reality is that despite the unity of the EU, that there are these different laws within countries within the EU that treat companies differently. Is that right?
1: That's right. I also have really come up to speak in the last few months on the complexities of the EU laws. But Basically, what it means is if you're a big enough company, you could be a U.S. headquartered company, but if you have enough employees in France or enough employees in Germany, then you would also be subject to the supply chain due diligence requirements in those countries until this EU-wide law passes. And that should kind of level the playing field. And so then for anybody doing business at a sufficient volume in any country in the European Union, the same due diligence requirements would apply. But that's right. These laws are promoted by the countries themselves, and then ultimately adopted at the EU-wide level.
0: And at the EU-wide level, it seems to me that over the years, the EU has been pretty much in the forefront, especially vis-a-vis, say, North America and the United States. It seems that these regulations seem to pop up first in the EU. Is that a correct assumption or observation?
1: It depends on the issues. Certainly, environmentally, the EU has, uh, like I mentioned, this anti-deforestation law. So any paper goods, any soy, palm oil, coffee, cocoa, rubber, beef, leather that comes into the European Union that could be coming from a country where there's a risk of deforestation, you have to perform enhanced due diligence and map down to the raw material, the farms and the forests where they come from. So that's certainly the highest level of the anti-deforestation regulation of anywhere in the world. Uh, They also have some very strict anti-greenwashing laws where if you claim that your product is carbon neutral or that it's recycled. You need to have the supply chain due diligence performed to verify that. But the U.S. leads the way on anti-forced labor regulation. And this UFLPA, this Section 307, the U.S. prohibits any good made wholly or in part with forced labor. And that means at any stage of a supply chain, if there was forced labor, customs is allowed to confiscate, to seize the, the goods and require proof that it did not contribute to forced labor. And just to give you an idea of the, the, the breadth of that coverage, the list of goods produced by child labor, forced labor, that Department of Labor puts out has 159 different kinds of goods from 78 countries that are technically subject to this enhanced due diligence to prove the absence of forced labor, which is very hard to prove. And those goods, in the last 12 months, they've seized about a billion dollars of shipments, most of which are electronics. And then followed by apparel, footwear, and construction, agricultural materials. So high-tech goods coming from many, many parts of the world are subject to this U.S. due diligence law, which is only starting to be reflected in some draft European legislation.
0: Well, it's called the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act. Did that specific act relate only to the Xinjiang province of China, or is it more broad in in terms of what you just described, or are there other laws that need to be assembled for the full picture of, of this?
1: Yeah, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is one law that basically bans goods from Xinjiang, but also touches on entities that do business in Xinjiang and entities that use labor that could have been trafficked from Xinjiang. So it's Mm -hmm. a bit broader, uh, but what makes it unique in terms of forced labor enforcement is that it bans any product having passed at any point through the geographic region, which is a large region. It's about the size of France. The Section 307 enforcement, which is also very, very powerful and and addresses forced labor, also touches on a variety of other goods and and countries, including in, in the last year, There has been sugar from the Dominican Republic seized under that Section 307 enforcement. There have been products from Malaysia, like palm oil or rubber, uh, products from Vietnam. So it it actually is global in reach. It touches any of these 159 materials and any of these 78 countries. So in addition to the the special focus the UFLPA has on Xinjiang, Section 307 has an extremely broad application to preventing goods made with forced labor from entering the U.S.,
0: Let's get back to Europe for a moment, uh, the EU specifically. What does compliance look like in that regime? Where are you required to report? How are you required to report the necessary things that would indicate that you're not violating these strictures on the European side?
1: Now, Many of these laws actually require companies just to perform the due diligence. They don't have to make the due diligence results or the findings public. It's a lot like, I think of it as a quality control type process where companies must have systems internally to monitor for quality and address any defects so that there is reasonable care exerted across the whole uh, supply chain. So in the case of supply chains, what that means is companies have to identify all of their suppliers, something that's also called supply chain mapping. As you may know, Mm -hmm. it's not that easy. For a lot of companies, they might only know their direct suppliers, and now they have to know their suppliers' suppliers. They have to then collect enough documentation from the suppliers on their policies, their procedures. They have to do some independent risk assessment, and those could be audits, those could be various benchmarks. And then they have to put corrective actions in place, just like with a quality issue. If you identify a risk in your supply chain as part of due diligence, you have to put a corrective or or continuous improvement plan in place, and you have to monitor that the issue is resolved. And so that's really an end-to-end internal management process that has to be installed in just about any medium or large size company operating in the U.S. or Europe. And when there's an issue, it's important then that the companies can show that they have exerted reasonable care. We know there are uh-huh. bad actors in supply chains. We know there's fraud. But you have to be constantly on the lookout for it and to be exerting this care.
0: Right. But it's just a question you have to, you have to amass this information internally and make it available when it's required by regulators if they happen to be doing an audit? I mean, it's not something you're submitting to them proactively on a regular basis. It's just sitting there pursuant to a future audit of some kind?
1: That's right. Both on, in the U.S. and in Europe, this is creating an audit trail to show that you've taken a reasonable care to make sure that your supply chain is free of forced labor in the U.S., or it's free of deforestation or major environmental or social problems in Europe, and that you've maintained... That your suppliers are compliant. You you basically can't do business with suppliers that are not complying with European or U.S. standards around labor and, and environmental regulations. There are some elements that have to be reported, but this is going to look a lot more like a U.K. or the California Supply Chain Transparency Act, which is a statement that companies make that they have undergone these processes and that they are monitoring their supply chains for These important environmental and social issues. What we've seen in the case of the U.S. enforcement of Section 307 is that, yes, companies may be required to provide quite extensive information, for example, to clear a shipment that's been seized by Customs and Border Protection on suspicion of forced labor. And that is a lot of data. There can be hundreds of pages for that one container detailing all of the suppliers that contributed to it, all of the audits that have been conducted, all of the receipts, all of the contracts to prove the chain of custody. So in a sense, it's too much data to be proactively provided to governments, but they are entitled to ask for it when they suspect something is wrong.
0: Because I'm thinking back uh, several years ago to the Securities and Exchange Commission's requirements for reporting on conflict mineral sourcing, which was required by the Dodd-Frank Act. And that was just some kind of a reporting requirement, but they were required, I thought, to proactively post that information in their annual reports or something like that. It wasn't like they were sitting on it waiting for someone to come along and ask for it, that they had to actually put it out that way. Am I wrong about that?
1: You're right. They have to put out – so this is the the Conflict Mineral Provisions of Dodd-Frank, which has been in place since 2012, and in many ways it was the first such law for supply chain due diligence, requiring companies to not buy tin tantalum gold from the Democratic Republic of Congo or any surrounding Mm -hmm. country. And what they do is they make a statement in their annual report saying, We adhere to the conflict metals provision of Dodd Frank, and we have gotten assurance from our suppliers that they do not buy from these regions. And in fact, that whole problem has been solved uh, by a common standard that everybody uses to report on this, and even a common list of smelters of these metals that are approved as being conflict free. And so everybody now knows they have to buy from a conflict-free smelter, and they have a standard template to collect data from suppliers to ensure that they are 100% compliant. And that's a lot of what we are trying to see come forward with these forced labor and, and European due diligence laws, because while the, the intent of the law is very clear, the reporting standard does not yet exist
0: Right. Well, that could be a challenge. Well, also with regard to the conflict minerals regulation or guidelines, that applied only to public companies, right? Publicly traded companies. Uh, what about all this other stuff we're talking about? Is that public companies only or is it does it also apply to privately held? These new uh, supply chain diligence laws
1: don't, don't discern between private or public. They're not tied to shareholder rights. They are really tied to standards that these regions are applying. Now, you think of it this way. When I in 2021, I testified to the Senate Finance Committee on these tools to to prevent forced labor in supply chains. And really, politically, this is a no-brainer, right? Nobody wants industry to be competing with companies that could be operating using forced labor or in ways that destroy the environment. It really is not a level playing field. So if you have domestic industries that you're trying to nurture and they're competing with people in other places that could be operating according to a whole different set of rules, that's just thats just not good for, for local industries. So what we've seen is, is really the implementation due diligence law as a way to keep the level playing field for all domestic industries and to require importers uh, from other countries to play by the same rules.
0: Okay. So the name of the game is supply chain visibility. That is the cure to this particular challenge. But you yourself pointed out earlier in our conversation about the challenge of doing that along multiple tiers of a global supply chain. And of course, by definition, the global supply chain usually does involve multiple tiers. So once you get beyond tier one, and maybe even beyond tier two, how are you supposed to get that kind of visibility? Are you working all the way up directly with those sub 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 suppliers are you depending on each subsequent tier to then report on the one above it how does that work
1: the best-in-class approach here is to ask your suppliers to provide transparency as a condition of doing business with an importer in the u.s or in europe and this was a crazy idea 10 years ago but it is totally taken hold there are a number of industries where this is the norm food and agriculture apparel footwear and many parts of the luxury sector already do this and now it's table stakes if you want to sell your goods on the u.s market you provide supply chain transparency and that means the suppliers come equipped with a map of all of their suppliers and the, the, the job is already done for some other industries that are just emerging where the laws are new like we're talking electronics we're talking renewables we're talking some parts of the pharmaceutical sector uh, that's just started but uh, there is no substitute You have to ask your suppliers for their records of where they bought things from. And if they don't know where the raw materials originally came from, you have to then go to the sub-suppliers and ask them and then rinse and repeat. Keep asking until you get to the raw materials. The reason you can't, there are no shortcuts here, is that the data has to come from the actual supply chain because those are the people who if there is a problem, are also where the problem will need to be solved. So this is both reporting, but also accountability. And ultimately, if there's a risk identified, you're going to send your auditors, you're going to collect supporting evidence, you're going to put corrective actions in place. And to do that, you need to know who those suppliers are.
0: You need verification because, I mean, in the past we've seen disasters happen at sub-tiers of which the OEM or the brand had no knowledge. I mean, they were told that this is the way their supply chain works only to find themselves surprised that there was this entity they didn't even know was producing their product. So, I mean, how do you get past a promise? How do you get past a so-called supplier code of conduct to actually find out if they are really walking the walk on that?
1: First of all, it's a lot of suppliers. On average, every company we work with discovers about 20,000 new suppliers that they didn't know they had. Now you have to ask yourself, okay, are these the suppliers or am I being told something that's not quite accurate? And and are there unauthorized subcontractors? Are there off the books, labor brokers, et cetera, et cetera? So we have to get additional information, especially in high-risk commodities, high-risk parts of the world. And then we have to verify that. And part of the U.S. guidance for importers is that verification has to be independent. So you can ask your suppliers for this data, but then you have to verify it independently. And that includes a variety of things, but you have to look them up against, obviously, lists of of sanctioned companies and so-called named entities that, that Customs and Border Protection maintains. You also can start to look for contracts and receipts and make sure that the volumes all reconcile And then last but not least, there's a lot of AI-based solutions these days that can also look at associations and, and guilt by association. And if this company looks good on the face of it, but we've seen them in the past do business with a nefarious actor, then that could be a reason for a red flag and a corrective action plan. So there's a variety. There's about as many verification methods as there are different industries under this law.
0: It's a huge task. It involves multiple individuals, both internal and external to the organization. But I wonder if you have a recommendation as to who should finally be responsible within an organization for this massive compliance challenge. Is there a particular officer in the C-suite? Is there a particular title you think who is especially should be there for that purpose and that purpose alone?
1: We see a lot of people at these events who are coming from compliance or they're the general counsel. But this is at the end of the day, a supply chain process, The supply chain is the organization that selects the vendors and that is able to put in place what's called responsible sourcing, which are various bars to entry for vendors that require them to pass certain environmental and social tests. So responsible sourcing is where this really lives under the chief supply chain officer, chief procurement officer. And that's where the real leverage lies inside the organization to make sure that all of the suppliers and their suppliers are responsive to these requests for information and that they implement these corrective action plans. Then, of course, the budgets and the data are really things that can come from other organizations. Quality is often involved. Legal compliance is often involved. Sometimes even investor relations and and corporate communications can be a beneficiary, but it has to start with the supply chain organization.
0: Leonardo, based on all that we've just talked about, where does SourceMap fit into this picture and how can you help companies achieve these goals of visibility and due diligence?
1: I started SourceMap specifically to give companies a way to manage the risks associated with their extended supply chain. So you can think of it as a one-stop shop, a single software platform that manages all of the data, all the workflows, all the verification and reporting that you need for end-to-end supply chain due diligence. It's really modeled on CBP importer guidance. So you have the supply chain mapping. That's that process of discovering your suppliers. And again, tens of thousands of new suppliers often get added to your database through this process. Traceability, transaction records actually being collected and, and reconciled to ensure that all the volumes are passing through the right actors in the supply chain. Risk assessments to make sure that we can independently verify the, the, the authenticity of the supply chain and that they don't, the suppliers don't pose too high of a risk, collecting supporting evidence, corrective action plans, making sure that all lives in one database, and then being able to quickly report on that auditable data trail. What makes SourceMap unique is we, we brought supply chain mapping software to the market way back in 2008, so we have the most experience doing this. What we've seen is it's a universal problem. Every industry, every material Every part of the world needs to map supply chains. and You might be a company that doesn't sell anything under the anti-deforestation law in Europe, but you probably use cardboard to package it. And that means there's a risk of deforestation there with the wood that was used to make the paper, that was used to make the cardboard. So you need a universal solution that'll work across your entire global sourcing. You need to continuously keep that supply chain map up to date and those transactions traced because the supply chain, when you go back that many levels, Is something that changes all the time. Uh, And by the same token, you're going to be looking for fraud, counterfeiting, adulteration, and other kinds of risk as that supply chain map continues to stay up to date. And you're going to want to do all of that in a way that matches your own IT department's security concerns, your, your local regulations around supply chain data security. And then last but not least, it's going to be a task that many companies embarked on for the first time. And so you are going to need help or your suppliers are going to need help. And that's something else that we've seen uh, and developed over the last many years is, is supplier outreach. Right? We need people who will announce to your suppliers that this is the new normal. Supply chain transparency is a requirement. They're going to need to train. They're going to need to provide tools and, and capacity building to your suppliers, especially those tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers who are just getting on board with supply chain mapping today. And so that combination of universal supply chain mapping, real-time transaction traceability, ongoing fraud detection, uh, all in a secure environment and with plenty of supplier outreach support, that's what makes SourceMap
0: unique. Having heard so much over the years, every consultant, every expert says step one in optimization and management of your supply chain is map your supply chain. Well, it's great to finally figure out what that means. So, Leonardo Benani of SourceMap, I thank you very much for this great discussion about the need for due diligence and visibility in global supply chains, as well as telling me something about SourceMap itself. Thanks again. I really appreciate you being with me.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was my conversation with Leonardo Bonani of SourceMap, talking about how to achieve due diligence over global supply chains. We thank SourceMap for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at scbrain.com. Also, watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.